1: Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, a lot of women don't feel comfortable delegating, and there may be good reason for that.
2: We're supposed to do it all, and we're not supposed to ask for help, and we're supposed to be perfect in all that we do. But what ends up happening is, is that then when we delegate, we don't feel right because we're sort of letting somebody else do it.
1: But a desire to control the outcome can also play a part.
3: The struggle is not wanting to, I think it's the assumption that we can take control of things that are not remotely within our control.
1: Coming up, why some of us shy away from delegation and how to master it. I was doing an interview a few months ago and I asked my guest why she thought so few women in Sweden had top jobs in the private sector. This is in spite of the country's egalitarian outlook and all the effort it's made to ease life for working parents. And one of the things she said was, Well, I've noticed women aren't that good at delegating. And she said, When you don't delegate, you don't have time to focus on more of the big stuff and the less obvious networky kind of stuff that can help your career. That delegation question is something I've thought about too. I have been a reluctant delegator in the past. I've caught myself thinking time and again, oh, I'll just do that. It's easier. It's easier if I do it. I'll do it better. But what that means is spending a lot of time on stuff that's fairly routine and could be outsourced. I sat down recently with Rahel Ellison to talk about this. She was a guest on a past show I did about work and motherhood. She's a coach and a consultant, and she works a lot with new parents, mostly women, who are going back to demanding jobs after their leave ends. She's also a partner at the Center for Parental Leave Leadership. What's your impression of how comfortable the women you work with are with delegation? They're not.
3: <laughs> They're very uncomfortable with delegation. And I, and I think... I think there's a sense of wanting to do your best in every sphere of your life and wanting to kind of control that outcome. And delegation obviously takes away from your ability to control the outcome. So I think it's, you know, you see it with parenting, you see it in the workplace, but I think most of the people who I've worked with are quite uncomfortable with delegation.
1: Again, I've often noted my own desire to control, and I've noted it in a lot of other women. Whether it's to do with their kids or their work, they want to put that finishing touch on whatever it is themselves. They don't want to delegate it. We talked about why this is. Maybe women feel if we don't control that final outcome, it'll reflect badly on us.
3: I always hear, and we've talked about this, I think, on your show, like this sense that what I hear from new parents is I I need to give 150% at work and 150% at home, right? So that feeling of needing to go over and above and show that veneer of perfection, and you can't do that if someone else, theoretically, it's harder to do that if someone else is taking some of that job from you. I think that's what people are feeling. And on the home front, you know, I think there is certainly pressures around Motherhood and the image of motherhood and being a perfect mom that we're that we're struggling with, um, and you know we don't want to relinquish that role even if we don't. You know it's very hard. I find it's very hard for moms that I work with to, and again this is just this one particular area to relinquish control to dads. They kind of assume that you know there's the the stereotype if you. You know, that idea that, you know, if you have dad make the lunches instead of you make the lunches, it's going to be like thrown together pieces of bread with like maybe one piece of protein in there. But if you make the lunches, it's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to have all of, the, it's going to be a balanced meal. Well,
1: yeah, I, I want to talk to you about this delegation, the part that home plays in this, because there is, all, there, I think there's overlap between work delegation and home delegation, okay. but the the lack of home delegation obviously affects your work greatly or Mm can do and Every time this has come up a few times on my show and the example the woman has given has been a home arena where they have found it hard to relinquish control of that thing, whether it's lunches or choosing um, an accessory for the home that they outsource to their husband. Mm -hmm. It was tough for them Mm -hmm. to do that. Now, I'm assuming that this is because traditionally the home has been our arena and that we find that still so many of us hard to just say, okay, no, no, you do it. Is that that where it comes from, do you think?
3: Yeah, well, I I think that is partially where it comes from. But it's also, you know, we're not doing it in a vacuum, right? So there's the other side, what are men expected? You know, how do they assume the role, right, that they're given when it's delegated? There's an interesting study um, that came out of the Families and Mork Institute a couple of years ago looking at heterosexual versus homosexual couples and the kind of division of labor responsibility there. And basically, um, and I'm, I'm certainly paraphrasing and, and I don't have the data top of mind, but you know, the issues around delegation and division of responsibilities were essentially not there in homosexual couples. There were no roles that we're assuming that we're supposed to take. So I think in heterosexual couples, when there's a, you know, a male and a female who are, they are assuming their roles, the woman maybe feels that her role is to be in charge of the home sphere. And similarly, the male's feeling like, you know, that wasn't really my job. I don't know how to assume it. Right. So there is it's sort of on both sides. I think there's hesitation there.
1: She tells the story of one heterosexual client she had, and she was trying to exert control both at work and at home. At work, there was a tricky management transition going on. And at home, she was frazzled trying to potty train her toddler.
3: She was just really like she was really didn't want to let go of the management transition and what she felt like she needed to do to make things go smoothly and also was really struggling with this potty training on the home front and would not let go. And then finally it came, you know, would not let go of of being really strict about it, felt like her husband wasn't just stepping in the way that he needed to, felt that her staff wasn't stepping in the way they needed to at work and just wouldn't like. Oh, And it kind of came to the She really did have a moment of saying, you know, I I can't. I have to take a different approach to both of these things and recognize what in this situation I can control and what I can't, right? And potty training is not something that, you know, it's very easy to control. You can set routines, but there is a certain level of letting go and letting it happen. Um, and same is true with management. <laughs> so, so, you know, you have to let it play out. What um, she she took a step back. She really did. She she, t- she did some, you know, reflecting essentially. And she said, I'm not going to put so much pressure on my son to be potty trained at the pace that I want him to be. He doesn't have to be. I'm going to let my husband step in and take a little bit more of a role with this. Um, and in terms of, man, you know, in terms of the management transition, you know, these are the pieces that are most important to me and the rest, you know, is going to have to play out the way it's going to play out there's nothing I can do I think a lot of times you know we want to have the struggle is not wanting to st- I think it's the assumption that we can take control of things that are not remotely within our control controllable. they're not controllable so but we that's that's where we run into I think the most trouble is 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 when we you know we were I was talking about the 150 percent at work 150 percent at home there's there's a math problem there there's a kind of logic problem i think that we have like it, it's not poss- it's just not possible to control both spheres the way that we want to it it requires letting go and i think it's about choosing which parts you want to let go of
1: i bet a lot of you can relate You'll hear from Rahel again in a mini-show I'm releasing next week. In that we're going to focus specifically on parental leave and how delegation can help with a successful leave. So if you're a manager or someone who's likely to go out on leave, or both, tune in for that. Jody Detchen is also a past guest. She's a professor of management at Suffolk University in Boston. She's also a partner at Orange Grove Consulting. It's a firm that works with companies to get more women into leadership. When we spoke, there was some overlap with what Rahel and I had talked about, but Jodie has her own take on this topic. It's come up in past conversations I've had with guests, the idea that women don't delegate as much as men or don't like to, and thus more of their time is tied up on the smaller stuff that they could give to somebody else. What do you think i mean is this is just a
2: theory or is this true what's what 's been your experience of women and delegation so we found the same thing in our research and in our work with women. What we found is that what women and girls have been reinforced and reinforced and reinforced across their lives about getting stuff done. Oh, you're so good at that. Oh, you've got oh my gosh, look how hard you're working and you see this consistently. And so what ends up happening is is that women believe that they're not very good at delegation. For example, think about men. So men are entitled to support. So they think, All right. The woman's going to clean the office kitchen dishes. I don't have to worry about that. Or they believe that their work is valuable, so they are much more ready to spend money to make their life more efficient. So for example, men have no problem getting their shirts cleaned, whereas women will wash them and iron them themselves. They also will feign... incompetence at support tests, oh, you know, I can't take notes, I'm an awful writer. Oh, and you're so good at it. And that just triggers women who've been told they're so good at these things, these small things. It just triggers them to want to do it more. And so men have learned that they are supposed to get support and that this is their their God-given right. And women have been taught quite the opposite.
1: Not to generalise too much about men, but as I listened, a portrait of myself was emerging pretty fast take the pride many of us have in being self-sufficient.
2: If you look at the data, girls outperform boys in school across the age ranges, so through college. But we're also taught that we're supposed to do it all, and we're not supposed to ask for help, and we're supposed to be you know, perfect in all that we do. And if we ask for help, that's selfish. But what ends up happening is, is that then when we delegate, we don't feel right because we're sort of letting somebody else do it, and it feels really uncomfortable to us. So we in our when we've been working with women you would be surprised at how many women refuse to delegate house cleaning even though they can amply afford it affording is not a problem they just don't want to do it because you know the cleaner's not going to do it as well as they will men no problem at all i think i'm going
1: to book a cleaner as soon as we get off the phone <laughs>
2: I have done this. Like back when I lived in London, my husband said, we're spending too much money on the cleaner. So I said, okay, so let's try cleaning it ourselves. And so we had our list. Well, he didn't do his list. And I said, that's it. We're hiring the cleaner back and we've had a cleaner ever since.
1: (laughs) I would love to hire a cleaner. So I think you've just galvanized me. But what you said about men expecting... To receive support was so interesting because in all my thinking about this topic, I have never
2: thought about that. Yeah, and so they're raised to believe that it's okay to get support. And women are raised to believe that they are the ones that have to give support. And so it's just, I'll give you an example. So a couple years ago, I had a male student tell me, this was at the end of the semester, he had a team of all young men. He said, You know, we did poorly because we didn't have a young woman on our team to organize us. And I like looked at him, I almost exploded. And the more I look at this, I see this again and again and again. And of course, what ends up happening, right, is that the men get all the glory jobs, the glamorous. They're the ones that are up in front doing all the work and, you know, looking like they're doing all the work. And the women are in the back organizing it. And this is undergrad, so it's not changing. (laughs) These are 21-year-olds.
1: In her house, delegation is a way of life. Her two sons have been doing their own laundry since they were 13. But let's consider the idea that, again, women don't actually like to delegate. Whether or not they're expected to do everything, they want to do it. Jodi tells the story of one woman she and her consulting colleagues worked with.
2: She was a relatively new manager, so she'd probably been managing for about a year. And she was really uncomfortable with delegation. So she would delegate it to her people, and then the minute they came back with a problem for her, she would be like, OK, well, just give it to me. And she would take it over. So what ended up happening was, and the problem she was having, is she was working later and later and later because she was doing their work and her work. And they were leaving earlier and earlier and not getting much to do. And the other thing that was happening was is that they were starting to think that she didn't trust them, that they were incapable. So she was sending them a really clear message that they didn't have the capability to get the work done, that only she could. So we had to work with her on really thinking about, what is it that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen if you delegate to them? What if you look at it as an opportunity to develop them, to build their skills so that you have a stronger team? And so she worked on it over about a six-month period. And at the end of it, she was going home a much more reasonable time. She had a stronger team. She had a more capable team. And she wasn't doing their work anymore. But she had to get over that hump, that initial hump that they were. she really believed they were incapable. And they knew it. I had an
1: experience like those employees once, years ago. I was hired by a company in an associate role to help out my new boss because she was overwhelmed. And I really liked this woman. We became good friends. But even though she had asked for the help, she had persuaded the company to create this position that I was filling, she just would not delegate. I mean, she delegated tiny things, but essentially I found myself bored for 70% of the day and B, I felt like she didn't trust me to do the work. You know, it was quite dispiriting to be sitting there all day feeling like you'd been hired for a job that you weren't allowed to do. Finally, I talked another executive into giving me some other writing work to keep me busy. And ultimately, that led to me becoming a journalist a couple of years later. Jodie says the ability to delegate is vital if you want to rise through the ranks.
2: It's the difference between a junior manager and a mid to senior level manager because the ones that don't make it to the top are the ones that don't learn how to delegate because there's absolutely no way you can be in a senior management position without delegating. You just cannot do your people's work as well as your work. It's not possible.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, talk a little more about that, because as you know, the idea for doing a show on delegating came from one of my listeners, who's also been a colleague of mine. And she said, you know, she is getting better at delegating at work. But she pointed out that often means letting people make mistakes. And some people would say, oh, I don't have time for that. So how do you you start to become a delegator if traditionally you haven't been much of a delegator? Well, I think the
2: problem is is that people get scared of the process itself because initially the process is a learning process. So you have to teach people. They have to learn how to do it. And and you're right. There's mistakes, and that's just the nature of the beast. You know, if I hand something to a junior person for the first time, what I get back is not what I want. It's not. It's going to take me three to 10 times longer the first time. But you have to look long term. I have to think, okay, this person's going to be with me for several years. And I'm going to invest this time now because in three months, I don't want to be doing it. Now, if they don't learn in three months, then I haven't hired well. I haven't. I don't have the right person to delegate to. So part of the process is figuring out who is it that I'm delegating to, and do they have the will they do they have the basic essential skills to start with, so that they can learn from there. And that's not always the case. But I'll give you an example. We had an assistant here ten years ago, and um, at first she was absolutely awful. She just was just one of the least capable people I've ever met. But she was completely capable of learning. And so we all took the time and we taught her every little aspect of what it is we needed. And it probably took her three months because she was a really quick learner. And then she became one of the most capable people in that position that I've ever met. And she got promoted within a couple of years because she was so competent. We trusted her and she learned. Now, so there's two pieces to that puzzle. You've got to have the trust. And then you've got to have the person who's willing to learn. And you don't always have both of those. But then both of those are managerial challenges, right? If you don't trust, then there's a problem with who you've hired. And if they're not capable, there's a problem with who you've hired. So all, all roads lead back to us. But she says once you start. Delegation is addictive. I delegate everything. So I delegate to my kids, I delegate to my husband. I delegate to my grad assistant. I delegate to people who work in my company. I delegate to my teams at Suffolk. I delegate to everything. So when I get the first thing that happens to me is when I get a question, I ask myself, "Who is the best person to do this task?"
1: And sometimes it is her, but often someone else can do it. One thing that drives Jody nuts is a particular belief people seem to have about women, including women. It's become a cliche:
2: women are so good at multitasking. So this is a trigger word, right? We are told that we're just so good and we're so efficient at getting a lot done, this whole we have to do it all. And so when you delegate, of course, we're not doing it all. Somebody else is. We're giving it to somebody else to do. And when we when people tell us that we're great multitaskers, what they're basically saying is keep at it. You keep doing everything. Women are great at getting things done. And it just keeps reinforcing this exact same bias. And we've internalized it as a rule. And so when, when people tell me I'm a great multitasker, I say, actually, I don't multitask. And then I just stop. And they don't know what to say. And they get really uncomfortable. But I'm just like, multitasking is not actually physically possible. When you look at brain research, people don't multitask. There's actually a cost to multitasking because every time you switch tasks, there's a pause in your brain and there's like a microsecond, but it adds up. So multitasking is actually quite inefficient. But punting, as she calls it,
1: now that is efficient.
2: When we learn to punt, we actually learn to let go of control. So punting is basically saying, you're dropping it, you're saying, not my responsibility. And there's, there's actually a method to doing it that we've discovered. Like The first one is you just stop doing it. So for example, there was this one woman who was, her team was responsible for monthly reports. So she t- decided to do an experiment and she didn't do half the reports one month. And just to see what was happening. And you can imagine what happened, nothing. So she was just relieved of a majority of those reports nobody even looked at. They didn't miss. So she just relieved herself of a ton of work that opened her up for a lot more strategic work. So another one is a lot of people punt on their email. So they literally won't. They'll look at their email, and they'll, they're only going to respond if it's urgent. And the rest of it, they just punt. And the whole idea is if, if it's that important, it'll come back again. And this is, men and women do this. It's fantastic. The third one is you can ask for help. And this one, everybody always talks about how men don't ask for directions, but women don't ask for help. And just asking for help, hey, can you help me do this? So for example, a big presentation that we have to do next week, each piece of the presentation has been given to my team. So the team together is creating the whole thing, not one person. And then the delegation piece. So as we learn to punt, to really prioritize what really needs to happen here. And actually, most stuff, you'd be amazed at how you can get away with subpar. And when I mean subpar, I mean subpar compared to perfection, not subpar compared to ex- expectations. Because you can meet expectations. And our expectations of perfection are not really what the other person's expecting. They're expecting it just to be done.
1: You can listen to the early show I did with Jodi for more on women and perfection. That's called Killing the Ideal Woman. And she says it's not just people like her with teams who can delegate. A lot of entrepreneurs hire virtual assistants, or if you're like me, you sometimes hire an intern to help out with research and transcribing interview tape. Zainab Ubaid transcribed most of my interview with Jody, and she found me an academic study on women in delegation. Jodie says one woman she worked with was hired to do social media for her company, but the company had a tiny budget. She was the sole person in this role. She ended up asking her friends all over the different departments to find interesting stuff to post, and it worked out really well. She was doing her job, but she had lots of unofficial helpers. Jodie says the problem is it's easy to get overwhelmed at the outset, to think, "Ugh, how can I delegate this beast?
2: I better just do it myself. But All you have to do is you just break it down into smaller pieces and then figure out which aspects can be delegated. And you know what? It's a 21st century leadership skill. You learn how to do that, you can do a lot of stuff.
1: Jody Detjen. As ever, I'm curious to know what you think. Has your career rocketed since you began to delegate? Do you find it hard to give up control? You can comment under this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the Facebook page, or you can tweet me at Ashley Milntite without the hyphen. And I mentioned this earlier, but I'll be bringing out a mini show in about a week. In that show, Rahal Ellison talks specifically about parental leave and the role delegation can play in having a successful leave and re entry. If you can kick in a few bucks or pounds or anything else to support the show, that would be great. Any amount is gratefully received. You can go to paypal.me slash the experience. I will see you next week for that mini show. I'm Ashley on tight. Thanks for listening.